Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter and today's episode on how to talk to your physician about serious illness with Dr. Barry Baines. We'll get to that in just a second. I'd like to introduce everybody on uh, that's involved with, with Health Chatter. Maddie Levine-Wolf and Aaron Collins do our great background research on, on all of our shows. Matthew Campbell is our production manager guru that makes sure that all of our shows are in good shape before they go out to you, the public. We've got also my great colleague in, in doing this show, co-host Clarence Jones. Without him, I don't know if we'd have anything to talk about, right, Clarence? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that, Stan. I think you have okay. a lot to talk about. Okay, okay. We, right. yeah, well, okay. I guess we do. Okay, okay we that's do. good. But, he, but he's, he's great. Also, Human Partnership is our sponsor for, for this podcast. And many, many thanks to them. They're a good community organization. And uh, they do do great work. So thank you to them. Today, we're going to be talking about how to talk to a doc about serious illness. And we have Dr. Barry Beings. Um, Barry and I go back quite a ways good colleagues, friends, and he's, he got his, um, he's been most recently affiliated with Hennepin Healthcare Hospice of the, of the, uh, of the Twin Cities, uh, physician in family medicine with specialties in, uh, in hospice and palliative care. He's the vice president of Living Wisely and celebrations of life services you can visit their their website and i encourage you to do that at www.livingwisely.org got his math his his education at the uh he did his his actually his residency at, at madison wisconsin university of wisconsin and medical school at georgetown it's interesting my son got did his undergraduate work at madison and went to law school at Georgetown. So we got some interesting linkages there. Um, Barry has co-authored many, many articles and has been involved in this arena for a, um, a long, long time. So, so thank you, Barry, for being with us today on Health Chatter. So let, let's get this thing going here. Um, what is it? Okay, so let, 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 let's play this out a little bit. Um, a patient hears or gets information one way or the, or the other that they now have some kind of a serious illness, uh, whatever it may be. My guess is um, that it puts that individual, and I can only imagine, um, in a little bit of a tizzy. It's like, oh my God, now what? Okay, even though they might be be knowledgeable um, about particular illnesses per se, but it really hits home if it hits you. So, tell me about first of all um, your experience with people that get that kind of information, and how it is that physicians, perhaps at that just out of the gate, interact with a patient about giving them unfortunately, that unfortunate news. Right. Um, 
That's great, Stan. Thanks. And and uh, what I'd like to do, actually, for, for getting started, uh, just so that everybody is on the same page, is to make sure that we're talking about the same thing when we talk about serious illness, because people can interpret seriousness in, in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so just as a, a base, you know, baseline for what a serious illness is, um, let me just put that out there as a, a general working definition. Um, and that's basically a health condition that may be or is life-limiting and negatively impacts a person's daily functioning, their quality of life, uh, may be excessively burdensome to caregivers or both. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it, you know, a serious illness is something that, that has a more of a lasting impact than a more acute illness or injury. Okay. You get a, you know, strep throat, right. Say, and you take penicillin or, you know, if you're allergic to penicillin, you take something else and you're over with that. Or if you uh, sprain your ankle, you know, those things are, are very time limited and uh, you get to move on. Um, and yet there's uh, lots more illnesses that people have and health conditions that are chronic, long lasting. Um, some of them are serious, some are, are not. Um, but in the context of that, again, it gets back to when you when you hear the news of that, um, I do agree that it, it becomes uh, uh, a shock, you know, to mm -hmm. people. Um, and so what I'd like to do is, is sort of, uh, even though I'm not much of, a, of an artist, uh, as it were, when it comes to painting, but I would like to sort of paint a background upon which we can have our conversations to give a, a better context for things. Um, because one of the things when you find out about a, a serious illness, one of the first things to understand is that there are different types of treatments that people can have. And that's another definition. There's basically three types of treatments that medicine offers. One is what's called curative treatment. That uh, sort of, you know, everybody understands that. I already used the strep throat example, so I'll mm -hmm. use that again. Uh, I have strep throat, I get penicillin, and I'm cured of my strep throat. End of story, move on. You know, nothing goes on for that. Small hurdle. Uh, yep, yep, small hurdle. Um, the next type of treatment is something that's called remissive treatment, which that's not a, a word that a lot of people would understand. A better way of, of thinking of that kind of treatment is treatments that will slow down the progress of an illness. It won't cure it, okay? But, you know, you can live for years and years and years, remissive treatment um, or this slowing down treatment is sort of managing things. So when you think of something like high blood pressure, for example, or diabetes, you know, to use two uh, chronic illnesses that are very common in, in our populations, affecting some populations more than others, certainly. Um, so, um, you know, uh, personal disclosure, I, I have high blood pressure. <laughs> okay. And, and I know that some of the, if left untreated, it can have a problem with strokes and other heart failure and other kind of things, kidney failure, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so my doctor is giving, and I do have a doctor and she's a great family doctor. <laughs> um, so she has me on a medication that controls my blood pressure. I'm not cured of it. I still 
have hypertension or high blood pressure, but the medicine that I get for that is keeping it under control so that, you know, I don't have any of these uh, bad things that can happen over a long period of time. Uh, with diabetes, same kind of thing, if left untreated, uh, can cause many, many complications. Um, and uh, most people could take either oral medicine or a lot of people are familiar also with insulin as a way of controlling blood sugar. And here I'm referring more to the uh, what's called type 2 diabetes or, you know, mm -hmm. the diabetes that we get, uh, we tend to get as we get older. Although, uh, as just as an aside, uh, we're finding in our society with obesity rates and other public health things that are scary, that younger pe people are getting diabetes, you know, type 2 diabetes at a younger and younger age. But again, that's something that can be controlled. So you don't get cured of your diabetes, as it were, but it's controlled. So this remissive therapy, or it slows down things. Um, the same is true with cancer, okay? Mm -hmm. There are some cancers where actually you get, get cured. You can be cured of 100%. You know, it's gone, it's done, move on. Not quite like strep throat, but, you know, but the right. same idea is that, you know, you really, it's off the table. Um, many treatments for cancer are this slowing down the disease process. Okay, so that people who have can cancer today has become uh, for many types uh, really more like a chronic disease that's managed with different uh, treatments over over time. And uh, uh, again, there's been great advances in, in that in that arena as well. And then the third type of treatment is called palliative treatment or comfort treatment, comfort care, where the focus of the treatment is no longer to try to cure a disease or to try and slow down the process of progression of a disease, but just to provide comfort in the sense, relieving symptoms, improving people's quality of life, and where, where a sort of quality uh, takes a priority over quantity. Yeah. It's not it's not how long I live, but how but how I live. Obviously, in end of life care where I work, um, or or did until a couple of weeks ago, but I'm still not done <laughs> with that, mm -hmm. as it were. Um, you know, that's a that's another kind of care. And that's so is that does, that also includes, you know, on that end of the spectrum, um, you know, pain management, for instance, even though you can have pain management with other things. Well, that actually, but... that is uh, one of the, that's a great question. And the answer is yes. Again, any kind of symptoms um, is uh, relieving symptoms is called palliative care. Right. right? Without the hospice use, it is. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly right, is that why can't people get more than one type of care at the same time? And the, right, because because if it were me, well, if I had an illness, I'd certainly want to slow things down if it can't be cured. I mean, that's everybody would like to be cured of their illnesses. But if they can't and I'm having symptoms, you know, why should it shouldn't be one or the other? Correct. <laughs> I'd right. like to have my right. symptoms right. relieved and have yeah. the quality yeah. of life while I'm, you know, taking medicine or other treatments to sort of slow down the process. So that understanding is is actually is very important. And I'm going to expand on that just a little bit because it, it, this plays out very much in the conversations between physicians and health providers and patients when it comes to serious illness. Yeah. So let me um, ask you something. Um, 
you know, I, I remember, so like, like, you know, I have hypothyroidism and I remember when I was, when I was diagnosed with it and I was talking to my physician and I was taking some medication and, you know, the, you know, levothyroxine and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden I felt better. I went into the doc, my doctor and, and, and he, and I said, great, I feel better. I'm done. He says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Stan. Guess what? Better living through drugs and you, you're on it for the, for the rest of your life. So, um, you know, which gets into your, your, your points here. I, you know what, I, one, one theme, and then Clarence, you can chime in as well here, is this, you know, when, when we're talking about discussions with patients mm -hmm. about, um, in this case, a serious illness, um, reflect on the idea of um, sensitivity, okay, the, the being the doc or the physician being sensitive to the patient's um needs at that time around um identification of the problem um information about it how it is um it's kind of that emotional intelligence component of interaction between your healthcare provider and you can you reflect on that a little bit sure um and it comes down to this that physicians when they're asked are happy to have conversations with their patients about serious illness. Typically though, uh, their expectation is that if it's important to the patient, then the patient will bring it up. Hmm. Okay, so oftentimes it's not necessarily proactive, it's a waiting game. Interestingly, when you talk to patients, a project I worked on a number of years ago, um, just about every patient said if they had a serious illness that they would want to have conversation about it with their physician and hmm. patients said because that's important they expect the doctor to bring it up hmm. and and this is the the big conundrum this is what the problem is you have doctors and other healthcare providers on the one hand saying yes we'll talk about it and if it's important, the patient certainly will bring it up. You have patients on the other hand saying, I definitely want to talk about it. And I expect my doctor will bring it up if it's, if it's important. And then we get back to sort of what we talked about a little bit before we went on air. You have this 15-minute block, right? You have the provider and the patient in the room looking at each other. The clock counts down. I'm waiting for you. You're waiting for me. The buzzer goes off, as it were, the and things don't get talked about because mm -hmm. people are waiting. So the key here, um, and I, I've spent, you know, 25 years in, in end of life care and trying to educate physicians to be proactive about bringing it up. And, you know, they say, you, uh, you know, insanity is when you keep doing the same thing over and over again <laughs> and expecting something different. And so a number of years ago, I took a very different tack. Um, because both parties are willing to talk about it, why not? Um, I know empower gets to be an, a little bit of an overused word, but I, I think in this case, encourage patients, motivate patients if to ask if they have a serious illness, number one, okay, and to be the ones to engage in the conversation to start with, to start asking the questions, okay, and 
physicians and other providers are going to be sensitive enough to talk about that. Um, so that, and, and once you open the door for this, that, that idea of people waiting for each other, it disappears. In other words, once, once the topic of serious illness has, has come you know, onto the table, then it's forever uh, an open topic for discussion. And why is that important? Because patients need to really understand uh, the treatment options that they have, okay? And they also need to communicate to, the, to their provider what's important to them. What are their goals? okay, for their treatment and really having a better understanding. And, you know, oftentimes when you're first given news that's, that's not good news, it's a shock. Yeah. And what happens to yeah. any of us in a shock situation? We, we sort of clam up, okay? Yeah. And oftentimes that's perceived, you know, again, I'm, I'm sitting in the provider seat. Oh, I just told my patient that they have this serious illness. I said, do you have any questions? And they're just sitting there, you know, Kind of dumbfounded. And yeah. right, they're dumbfounded. And then I'm thinking, oh, they they probably are in denial or you know, they're not accept, you know, accepting this when people need time to process. To process. And that gets back, you know, Clarence to what we chatted about a little bit, the idea that it's a process. And 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 oftentimes what I would do for those kind of situations is is, you know, I'll say in this case, I'll I'll pick on Stan. And say, you know, Stan is my patient. I just gave you some very serious news about an illness that you have. And I said, I think I'm gonna, I'd like to give you some time to talk, to think about this. Let's set up another time where we can get to get, you know, another appointment so that we could really go through this and, and, and sort of understand this a little bit more. And then ideally, if I'm doing my job, I'll try and give you some information uh, to help you learn more. Although these days, uh, uh, it doesn't take much to jump right. on, you know, to search it up as my grandson. <laughs> Which could be say. overwhelming. Uh, it, it, it can that be, but, in and of itself. You know, but people have access to lots of information, but that's, again, what's real information, what's not is, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole um, right, with right. that, but it, but it's that dynamic of trying to open up the conversation. And, and I think that patients should be the, the ones to, um, to really put that on, on the table. And, and the, the basic question is to, is to ask their provider, do I have a serious illness? Or life-limiting illness, and if they well, say know, yes, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I want to jump in here because I think, Doctor Barry, I thank you. I thank you for first of all starting this conversation off by defining what a serious illness is, mm -hmm. because I think for some folks, anything that happens all the way up down to a, a hangnail is serious. <laughs> so it's it, it's kind of <laughs> nice to know. And the other part that I appreciate is the fact that you talk about the different types of treatments, because when people are uh, feeling like they have a serious illness mm -hmm. that, you know, they go, they, they almost immediately go to death. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I think it's, I think it's important, uh, at least in what you're saying for me to be able to, to convey to our community in a, in a different way, this is how you define a serious illness. Mm -hmm. And these are, this, this is the way that things are treated because it, it, it helps to uh, relieve some of the stressors Mm -hmm. that we have and so that that sometimes is why people when they go to a doctor they don't they don't uh, uh ask the question because they're you know they're afraid of hearing the word death you know what i mean because right. it's in their head right so right, I, right. yeah mm -hmm. so i i like the whole idea about the patient bringing it up how do you 
how do you really help them to 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 bring it up uh comfortably because so many patients look at, at doctors like they're almost gods. Mm-hmm. You know, and they 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 do they expect the doctor, if the doctor because the doctor has all the medicine, I mean has all the has all the charts and has all the you know the lab reports, uh how do they how do you or what or how could we help a patient be more comfortable in talking to the doctor? What can we be what can we let's put it this way, what can you as a doctor say that we could utilize to tell patients to be uh, comfortable with entering that ent- entering that space. Yeah, um, I think the the most important question is when someone is facing a serious illness uh, that before you launch into treatments that you're going to want to do um, as a physician, it's very important for me to again understand my patient as a person from the standpoint of what's important right. to them, what do they value? And, and actually, I always do this when I teach medical students and residents, probably the number one question is to ask, what are your goals? Now that you know that you have this illness, what are your goals? Okay, you know, um, I, I always hope for miracle, you know, you hope for miracles. There's nothing, you know, nothing wrong with that. Right. But the, the reality of many illnesses, because the goal for most people is why I want to be, you know, cured of my illness. Cured. Um, but if that's not possible, okay, then we need to, to look a little bit differently. So understanding what's important to patients is, is critical. And the best way is to have a conversation with them about what their goals for treatment would be. The reason why that's important, there was some research done where they asked doctors what they think are most important to patients in, in getting treatment. Yeah. And then they asked patients what you know, what their priority list is. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm glad you're sitting down. <laughs> I'm sure this is not going to be a shock to you, but when you compared the lists, different, they were very different. And typically yep. where the lists did is that the physicians tended to put more importance on treatments that extend life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Regardless of what that means from a person's quality of life and patients are more concerned with their quality of life burdening loved ones things like that mm. so uh, again as a physician a little disconnect there's a yeah uh, uh, yep a so, little disconnect there. yeah so so it's, so, as, so it's critically important to know what what patients value so that treatments can be uh uh talked about that help address what their goals are. So, yeah. so as a community person, yeah, uh, I'm concerned, or I would be interested in knowing how do we make the connections. Mm-hmm. Okay, since we know that we, there is a disconnect, yep. How do we? How do we? How do we? How do we bring that information to people, or what should we be doing? How mm-hmm. can I be more helpful yep. in this process? Because I think that 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 it is that it is necessary to do. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And and I think that, you know, uh, we uh, talked a little bit about scripts. <laughs> okay, I think, I think patients should have, you know, a script. And, and I actually have a list of uh, 
six or seven questions that wow. uh, that patients can can ask. Actually, part of this project I was at, we actually have these little cards. I'll have to send it to you. You know, it was a, a Medicare innovations project, and so it's you know you don't have to worry about out printing them off and, and giving them to everybody. Uh, you can just do that. And I'll just make sure that I send that to Stan. Yeah, uh, we can because, get it on our website. Yes, that exactly. would be like, that would be fabulous. And it's just and like, it's, it's like a, wall, a wallet card. Literally, we called we called them little cuties um, <laughs> because you could just fold it up and put it in your wallet. So when you go to see the doctor, you could take it out. And again, this is oriented toward um you know, again, more of the serious illness. And I know in the resources that were pulled together for the show, uh, Stan and Clarence, I think Maddie did uh, a lot of work on that. Um, there are other things for tips for when you're going to have, you know, sort of structuring that visit with your with your provider of things, you know, to do rather than have it, it, it shouldn't be flying by the seat of your pants. When you go when you go in, you need to spend a little time preparing for that, even though it could be scary going, you know, because there is this power difference when you go to see providers sure, and sure, stuff absolutely. like that. Um, you know, probably older patients are, are more deferential. Um, although, you know, as boomers, what do we know what about we? that? Um, and then the the. Uh, you know, the internet age, which has allowed people to get much more information uh, that very often with, you know, as a primary care provider, my patients would come in with information that they knew more than I, you know, I, I'll be honest, they knew more than I did um, at that moment in time, certainly, but I always you know, figure, well, um, I teach my patients things and they teach me things. Let me ask you about that. Street. So, yeah. you know, to a certain extent, I, I've got a couple of key things here. Um, is this immediacy of information overload, which can also lead to, um, I, I would assume, people becoming perhaps more concerned or more frightened about what they're dealing with. And then for some, having that amount of information for some people might be comforting. At least mm -hmm. they, they, yeah. they, can, they can frame their disease in their head a little bit more. So let me so respond to that. And then also another, another question I have for you is re, uh, related to age. When we really, based on your experiences, Barry, when we talk about serious illnesses, are we seeing it, see the seriousness of it, more connected with, shall we say, elderly patients? I'll give a, a sidebar to that. For those of us who have um, children, for instance, and um, and all of a sudden they're diagnosed with a serious disease, you know. In in certainly in 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 my head as a parent, what kind of comes to the forefront is this idea of not my kid. Let it be me. Okay, I'm older, and um, it. I don't want them to have to go through it. So I want so reflect on information and then reflect on age 
uh, seriousness of illnesses, young and old. Okay. So on the information, um, it's uh, like most things, it's a double-edged sword mm -hmm. um, because there's lots of uh, good information that's out there. And then there's, and but even good information, if it's too much, it can be paralyzing. Yeah. You know, when you have too many choices to make, you can't make a, a choice and it gets to be overwhelming. So there's that issue. That, that being the case, if you have a few uh, go-to resources for, you know, for information that are vetted and stick to those, you're going to get a, you know, a basis, um, you know, for really doing things pretty well. Um, uh, uh, so that, that's number one. And then the other thing is just, uh, again, with the internet, people could put anything on there and people sometimes go far afield and it's worse than just not being able to make a decision, but they have misinformation. Yeah. And it's that misinformation that in a lot of ways can be more damage, you know, more damaging because it's a misconception about, uh, you know, about cures that people talk about that really are not, at least in Western medicine. I mean, I think, you know, we need to, you know, look at that in, in that way. Um, on balance, though, I would much prefer to have a patient who knows enough to be able to ask questions about things, because as physicians, we tend to know things. And there's, have you ever heard of the curse of knowledge? The curse, concept, of the curse of knowledge and basically with that it, it started out in economics actually about <laughs> 25 years ago but it's the idea that once you know something you can't not know it mm. and so like if you know one and one is two you can't imagine what it's like for someone not knowing that one and one is two because you know you, you can't put yourself in that person's position and i think that that's one of the barriers with this patient-physician interaction is that yeah. physicians know so much and they can't imagine what it's like for to a patient know to not know and, and how that plays out. Um, a physician might come in and let's say with a cancer patient and say, uh, have this treatment that uh, is a new treatment. The results are unbelievable. The response that we get to the cancer is is just <clears throat> incredible, okay? And so now as a physician, what I'm saying is I can't cure your cancer, but I can slow it down using this treatment. What does the patient hear? If you were like yeah. a normal, right? A normal person, right? Um, people walk away thinking they're gonna be cured. They, they did this study at Dana-Farber, um, you know, big cancer hospital in Boston, where they looked at uh, very advanced lung cancer and very advanced colon cancer. Mm -hmm. And 70% um, of advanced lung cancer patients thought that the treatments they were getting were going to cure them. Cure them. Yeah. 81% uh -uh. yeah. of the colon cancer patients thought that the treatments they were getting were going to cure them. 
Now, the doctor wow. didn't say they were going to be cured, but it's that curse of now, like as a doctor, I know that what I'm telling you is that this is going to slow it down. But what is a normal, you know, really, like what is a normal person? It's not a doctor. It's like it's going to get rid you of know, it. Think of like it's going to get rid of it. And so that that information piece is very important to, um, yeah. you know, yeah. to really to nail that down. The, the other issue with the age yeah. piece, I wonder if I could uh, maybe uh, before I answer that, if you can sort of uh, uh, tell me a little bit more about that, what you're what you're thinking about with that. Well, OK, like, um, you know, a parent mm-hmm. um, is um, is certainly sensitive to you know, and they want to react to everything or anything that their mm-hmm. kid has. OK, right. Right. and uh, they don't want to see their um uh, their kid in any kind of um, pain mm-hmm. or discomfort. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like, and, and so to that sense, it's kind of better me than them. They mm-hmm. should not know from this. No. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No. No. Um, so I guess where my question is leading to is how is it that um, age differences mm-hmm. deal with, with seriousness of, okay. of, okay. of illness? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now I, I think I understand. It's always good to check in <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll take a, uh, a crack at that one. Um, the natural order of things, right. In life yeah. is you get older and you die. I, I you know, I mean, sure. I they say the two things, you know, death and taxes. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so uh, the older you get where you've had a, a, you know, a compilation of life experience, um, the older you get, you realize you're on the other side of that mountain, you know, <laughs> uh, heading off into the sunset. And so I would say that in general, there is a, a greater acceptance, you know, the older you get that that this is a natural order of things. And so people do accept that more. There, there's something that's not natural um, with younger people getting serious illnesses and dying. I mean, certainly accidents always happen before the age of, I mean, it used to be worse than adult mortality was infant mortality. You know, we've, you know, if you look at the the history, um, but in today's society, people don't have that many kids, but Mm -hmm. part of the reason is because they live. (laughs) Yeah, we have, you know, they they get a a much better, you know, chance at getting into adulthood. But that being said, um, it's very hard for not only parents, but other family members and just society in general um, against that. This isn't right. You know, this isn't, you know, they shouldn't suffer. They shouldn't get these serious illnesses. They shouldn't die. And yet they do. So where I think I see the difference is this idea that pe- for pediatric patients in particular, mm-hmm. that parents um, oftentimes will pursue uh, more aggressive treatments to gain a quantity of life, time, to get time for a longer period of time. Okay, especially yeah, when the kid, yeah. when the child is younger. Um, once you get into the teen years, then you could have more of a shared decision making yeah, on yeah. that. But it still kind of goes against our grain. I mean, I, you know, I have four right. grandkids. I, 
you know, and you know, I could say if you would, I'll trade. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know yeah, I'm right. you know, I'm in my seventies. Yeah. Give give that to me. I've right. you know, I've been yeah. there, been there, been done there, that. done that. Um, right. And I, you know, but the reality is, we can't just we can't yeah. do that. We know we can't right. do that. Right. We can't right. wave that magic wand. But that's what I see is the qualitative difference. Is that you know, as you get older, you get more accepting of these mm. things happening and you just rail against it. Yeah. You know, yeah. when it's, yeah. when it's someone, you know, who's, who's younger, that's, younger. that's yeah. my, you know, general opinion. A, yeah. a neighbor of mine is a, a pediatric oncologist and uh, one of my running partners. I don't, I don't run very fast mm. <laughs> when I'm out there, but I want to keep it shape. Um, and we have, you know, conversations about, you know, about this, um, you know, a bit, um, and it needs to be, you know, respected. And yeah, again, yeah. it's it's a process. It's not an event. It's it's talking over a period of time, and always making sure that you're checking in. Because that's the other thing I talked about: the importance of goals. Well, goals change over time, and you have and to by keep age. Check- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, isn't that what time is? Is it getting? Yeah, getting, I guess so. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Clarence, you've got a question. So, yeah, so I got. I, I got. So, stand that I. Yes. I yes. Yeah. That? Okay, absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. You know. You know. I. I. I, I well, I'm. I'm trying to try to do this. I really appreciate the fact that. Um, uh, you know, we're talking about. You know, how you talk to your doctor about different things. You know, and you mentioned mortality rate. There. There's certain issues that are more prevalent in in groups of people than other. You know, for yeah. example, you know, if mortality is three times in uh, higher in our group than others, but I, I wanted to to ask this question. Because uh, sometimes with serious illnesses, doctors have biases. Yes. Okay. How do you talk to your doctor uh, about uh, these issues uh, when maybe the doctor is not necessarily uh, aware or comfortable? For example, I can think about sickle cell anemia. Uh, It's a serious disease. And yet sometimes doctors, and this is what, I, what I've heard, what people have said, sometimes doctors think that people of color don't have as much pain as, as, as other people. Uh, but, but it's, or, but it's, or but, women, right? Or women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so 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 how, how do you, how do we talk to a doctor? I mean, since we're talking about how do we talk to our doctor yeah, about these yeah. serious things. So what, 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 what are your suggestions for us to just to be able to talk to them and saying like, you know, maybe... Mm-hmm. Um, Whatever I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So there's, you know, there's, there's two big issues here. One is uh, more of a global, uh, societal issue of the biases that are built in value based on care values. System. Okay, that, that you know goes without without saying. So the policy answer, and I'll get to the individual, but I, but I think sure. it's important to understand that the medical profession recognizes this. Okay, and in the same way with you, you know, doctors using hospice, they just don't until the you know the very end. Uh, but this whole idea of training for cultural competency has been, you know, twenty years ago that was never never there. So again, it's this understanding that people are different. Okay, and they have they come from different cultural backgrounds, and you need to understand where they're coming. You know, where they're coming from. Okay, um, we're not going to solve the the, mm-hmm. the global issues on that, but when you're an individual patient, 
what's important is 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 you right is that individual with the provider that you're interacting with okay and what i would say is you know people have their own radar or or uh gut reactions or mm -hmm. in you know internal peace and if they believe that they are being patronized or not listened to whatever is setting off you know i mean you you need to right not feel comfortable um and if that's the case i i think it's important for people to have permission to say is is there i'm you know sort of like the script that i would say is you know i you know i, I like you doctor um and yet i i feel like we're not quite understanding you know where you know where we're coming from yeah. can you recommend an one of your colleagues who might I like that yeah. have a you yeah. know just just for me to you know to see i mean you know again you, you know you want to be dip, you know diplomatic but 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 firm and i think it's okay to ask to see somebody else if you feel like you're not being heard if you're not being understood it's it's okay and if and if your physician can't tell you that can't come up with somebody that's who, a red flag to see that <laughs> yeah. that's a red flag and then the other thing is um usually people in in communities okay they should ask their you know friends i mean i i have to think that there are some people that are very happy with the providers they're seeing now everybody's you right. know everybody's different um but i, I would encourage people to to talk with their friends and family if they have encountered providers that seem to be better listeners or seem to either understand or if they don't understand are willing to ask questions to help them understand. Yeah. I, I love know. that. Let me, let me let me say this real quick. Go ahead. I think those are great tips to give out at health fairs. You know, I mean, so you you got some tips. I think those are, I mean, the the way that you explain that language, I mean, it gives people language because a lot of times in these situations, people get, they feel a certain kind of way, they get angry, mm -hmm. which does yeah. not necessarily help. It, no, you know what I mean, no. so <laughs> yeah, we we, yeah. we have, to, you know, for me, it's 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 that it's, what is the language that I use to just say like, you know, I need another, I need I need someone else because I don't think you understand. I think you I think you've done that, but I just want to let you know. I think it's that kind of language that we need to be sharing with people yes, so that they can make a decision without us going out with additional stressors and right. frustration about talking to a doctor. And again, the doctor may not be, you know, may, it may be just, it's not a match. That's yeah. right. That's right. No, that's no. exactly right. And, and also I bet you that again, this curse of knowledge thing I talked about, that sure. a lot of providers are going to be totally unaware even that that's right. how they're perceived. And oftentimes if a patient says that to them, um, I would like to hope that a majority of physicians will say, "What you know, like that that's a wow and say, what, you know, uh, I, I always like my patients <laughs> and if they, you know, I, I, and I would, and they may wind up, you know, saying, you know, wow, that's, I never knew that. What, you know, can you help me? Okay. As right. your doctor, what things can I do uh, right. differently to help 
you feel more comfortable with me or to feel like you're being, you're being heard. Uh, you know, right. I mean, you're going to get that response rather than, you don't, you know, like I say, when you get angry and then, right. you know, everybody's dander gets up and yeah. wind up in a different, in a different situation. But those kind of things is again, it's broaching the subject. That's like serious, exactly. illness, you know, so, kind let, of thing. so let me bring up a couple of other um, themes here. Um, one is a support mechanism. Okay, and you kind of alluded to that, Barry. Um, if somebody tells me I have a serious illness, guess what? My wife, my spouse, or significant other also is dealing with it. Yes. Okay. So reflect on that for for our our audience just for a minute. Okay. Um, I'm going to reflect in a couple of ways. Number one, when you go see the doctor also, okay. Yeah. Have somebody with you. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, good point. You know, four, four ears are better right? than two. Plus, you know, when you're the patient, as soon as you say, I, you know, I have some serious, some, you know, some bad news for you. And then I say something, everything goes blank. Okay. Yeah. Having that other person in the room, to, helps. you know, it helps because they are listening. They could take notes and that's, you know, taking notes, stuff like that. And the, and again, illness is, uh, it's not, it doesn't impact the individual. It impacts um, the family unit. It impacts, I mean, it goes, yeah. it goes, Friends, you know, goes beyond whatever, that. Yeah. And so again, from a patient perspective, it would be very important for the person that has the serious illness to, to actually sort of have conversations about goals, shared goals with with a loved one. I think that's, you know, that's important because people oftentimes are on uh, not on the same page. I know yeah. you've probably heard stories where, um, you know, where people, you know, do their advanced directives or living wills and things like that. And uh, they, you know, the, the person who it is wants one thing, um, but then they name somebody who's a proxy for them if they can't speak for themselves. Exactly. And yeah. and that person is not on the same page with them. So that's yeah. you know yeah. that yeah. gets that that gets to be more compli complicated. But again, the idea of being inclusive that you're not you know no woman is an island, no man is an island, mm -hmm. um, and especially with illness, uh, in the same way like you know bringing up children as a community <laughs> responsibility. Right, yeah. I think dealing with, with serious illness is a community responsibility. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me ask you about a, a, a little bit of a, a different twist. Oh, by the yeah. way, before we, we get off of that one, in many religions, they have what's called um, prayers for healing. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. like I like for yep. instance in Judaism, they have you know if you know somebody who is sick, let's mm -hmm. say a, a, yep. a prayer for them. So what's linked to this is this whole idea of uh, of spirituality as mm -hmm. well. So it's yes. all right. Let me let me ask you about um, kind of a curve ball here, and that's oh. when <laughs> let me get have, my catcher's mitt. My, cat, yeah, my get, get your baseball. Catcher. <laughs> it's like okay, you have a serious illness, and then guess what? All of a sudden something else happens covid as an illustration it's like oh my god here i've got you know cancer or i've got you know leukemia or i've got uh, you know sickle heart cell failure. or heart failure <laughs> god knows what and um 
all of a sudden, you know, the world throws this curveball at you. Mm -hmm. How is it that you relate seriousness of illness with, in this case, a curveball? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, because what what you're you're saying is you sort of are, are on a path, and then well, it gets complicated. You get you get uh, dumped on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's okay. like, oh my God, now yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, and and uh, you know, I I hate to be a, a Johnny One Note here, but uh, as conditions change over time, whether it's progression of your illness, the sort of expected yeah. trajectory. Or you get these acute things that happen, mm -hmm. like COVID. Um, <clears throat> the playbook is go back, go back to your to your goals and what's important to you, because um, that's going to help you navigate any situation. In, in my opinion, a great point. help you navigate through. Because again, people's goals change all the time, and in fact. Uh, whenever there is a significant change in condition, whether it be now, you know, I have heart failure and now I got COVID and now my breathing is even worse. Okay. That's one thing. The other thing is if I need to change my living situation is another big time. Anytime there's a significant change, whether it's from health or your life, go back to that question at this point in time now, What's most important to you, or yeah. not? Not to pick one, right. but right. but you know, because often how do things when, change? Yeah, <laughs> how do how have things change, and have have things now? What's important to you has that changed? Because oftentimes the priorities will change, mm -hmm. and that's what you need to do. So if like I have, you know, if I have cancer now, I got COVID and I can't breathe. Um, right right now. My COVID is what's impacting my life the most. Yeah. So I want to put getting me through COVID as the top priority because mm -hmm. without that, I can't do any of the things I like to do in my life. And so it might be putting cancer treatment on hold for a few weeks. Yeah. Know, as an yeah. example. But un unless you sit down and think about that it's always what is most important to you what are your goals um because the curveballs come from all different directions it's like i say acute illness could be a change in in your family something happens and it's not only you know always bad things sometimes it's it's good things yeah, that happen but yeah, it makes for right. a you know a grandchild was born or you know i mean there's you Whatever. know we yeah. could you know come up with that those are still good things but it's a big change yeah, and so it's like going you, back to how do you navigate? How do you navigate mm -hmm. that? So again, I think I like I say that's what I always lean on is uh so now that this has happened, um what what goals now are what? important to you? That's what I would that's what I would ask uh the person so that we can so that we get on the same page. You, you know, know it's we're a team. We're a team. Use, <laughs> right. You use a, a you know a, a catcher's glove, it's kind of like using the same kind of analogy. Go back to the dugout. Talk about yeah. your strategy. That's right. And then then go back out on the playing field, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right. Um any other major things that you would, you know, like, you know, key takeaways that you would like our listening audience to know. Maybe it's on that card that you that you recommended and we'll we'll be able to get that on our website if, if Barry you you can send that to us. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, 
I, I would say there's I, I would say there's there's one one thing that I that, that it, although it is on the card, yeah. Um, not all of your listeners are going to necessarily get 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 the card. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And and this is uh, you know, Clarence, this is more making the assumption that you have a good relationship with your provider. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, one of the things that people worry about when they have serious illness is that they're going to be, if they have a, a pro, I'm talking about a primary care provider. Sure. Okay. People worry a lot that if their primary care provider, because they have a serious illness, usually it means you need specialty care. Okay. Mm. And people want to know for sure that their primary care provider will still be involved with their care through, you know, kind of see them to the end of the road, as it were, mm-hmm. yeah. um, they, you know, because they want, that's who their their best relationship is with. That's the provider that understands them the most and that mm-hmm. can actually be the translator with the specialists. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing is to always um, make sure that uh, when they're dealing with their primary care provider to ask about not only ask, but to say, I really want you to continue to be involved with my care. Can you do that? Yeah. And, and as a, a provider, you know, you know, I know I'm only one, one doctor, but if a patient asked that, I would be honored, you know, to do that and really appreciate that they asked because it's easy to get lost in the maze of specialties. Uh, when you, have you know, what's, in, what's inherent kind of, a, and, and by the way, we're going to be doing a show on this, Clarence and I, um, a major theme throughout what we've been talking about mm-hmm. today is the idea of trust. Yeah. Really. I mean, you know, that's kind of like almost a common denominator here. Um, whether you're you're dealing with your primary care physician, you know, on a yearly basis, or if all of a sudden you're you're told that you have a serious uh, illness that trust factor uh really really plays out clarence uh any final thoughts well i'm just glad for the conversation and i appreciate you uh dr barry for for being here on our show and i definitely look forward to that information because i'm going to be sending it out i'm going to be having it printed up and i'm gonna have it in my community uh, health fairs. We're going to make sure that we get what you said was very impactful for me. So thank you. Excellent. As soon as we're done with the show, because uh, I have your email address. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know where you it. are. I'm gonna. Right. Uh, I'm gonna we'll... pack that stuff up and send it to you with a couple of uh, little uh, um, advisory notes. You know, just explaining what kind of what the what what they are and how they might might best be used. You know, Thank for you. for our listening audience, you're in for uh, part two of, of a real treat here. Uh, Dr. Baines is going to be back with us in a uh, in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be doing a show um, with him on living wills and uh, legacy letters. Actually, legacy letters and ethical wills. Ethical wills. What did I say? <laughs> ethical you wills. Said, I, you I said, said living, living wills, wills, which are that's, which are okay yeah, too. That's important those are, too. Those are so, two. So, that's so, yeah, show yeah, number it's three. No, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, or it's a trifecta in one show. So, but. But Barry, thank you very, very much. This is incredibly useful um, health-oriented information that I'm sure our our listening audience will greatly, greatly appreciate. appreciate. So for all of you out in our listening audience, keep health chatting away. 
Hi everyone, it's Matthew from Behind the Scenes, and I wanted to let everyone know that we have a new website up and running, helpchatterpodcast.com. You can go on there, you can interact with us, you can communicate with us, send us a message, you can comment on each episode, you can rate us, uh, and it's just another way for everyone to communicate with uh, Stan and Clarence and all of us at the Help Chatter team. So definitely check it out. Again, that's helpchatterpodcast.com.